Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. This time of year, I tend to hear things that aren't there. You see, as a singer, I spent many years performing all kinds of music throughout the holiday season. And I often hear these songs in my head, and I've been accused of singing them out loud, not even knowing I was singing. I hear them often, especially when it comes to the Gospel of Luke. Now, I'm going to ask a question, and the choir is exempt from answering this question. Can any of you guess what I hear concerning the Gospel of Luke and the holiday season? Don't be shy, just say it. <laughs> Not just this gospel, the gospel as a whole. Laura, you keep, you keep shaking your head. What is it? Oh, I, <laughs> Mariah Carey. Well, yeah, that's another sermon, Laura. That's another sermon. <laughs> Have I ever mentioned how much I love Christchurch? <clears throat> it's great. Okay, choir, the Messiah, right? Because I will hear something and all of a sudden in my mind the choir of angels is supposed to start singing glory to God. Or hearing these things does that to me. Now, there is another piece of music that is often in my head when I hear these gospel stories. It is a musical called Cotton Patch Gospel. I don't know if you have heard of it or seen it. If you ever get the chance, I highly recommend it. It is a one-man show. One person plays all the characters in the Bible. And it's... I know. And it's bluegrass music. It's phenomenal. It is an adaptation of the Cotton Patch Gospel written by Clarence Jordan. It was written in uh, the late 70s and early 80s when he translated the Bible into modern-day vernacular of Georgia. Think about that. Here is the plot of Cotton Patch Gospel. The story begins with the story of a young couple. Mary is engaged to Joe Davidson. I wasn't sure if we were going to get that on the first try. Joe, David's son, referring to the lineage coming through the line of David. Even though she is a virgin, she is found to be with child before they are married. This child is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, Joe considers not going through with the marriage, but is visited by an angel who tells him that it's the will of God and not foul play. And in the show, he says, Joe Davidson, do not be afraid to marry Mary because she was made pregnant by the Holy Spirit, so he marries his girl. And due to an income tax audit, They must then travel to Gainesville. (laughs) It's so fun. On the way, Mary suddenly goes into labor. There's no room for them at the Dixie Delight Motor Lodge. But the manager helps Joe break into an abandoned trailer out back, and that's where Jesus is born. They wrap him in a comforter and place him in an apple crate. 
Jesus grows up like no other child in Georgia, with his neighbors befuddled and his parents often at a loss of what to do. And then Jesus is baptized in the wilderness by a crazy preacher named John the Baptizer and begins to teach the people and convince the disciples. He shares with them the love and peace he offers and miraculously heals and feeds many. During this time, Jesus gathers a band of constant followers. We know them as the apostles. And this group eventually heads off to the hoedown in Atlanta with a mixed air of excitement and foreboding. I loved it because I sang with the band and didn't have to play all the parts in the Bible, but I got to watch my friend work his tail off while he did it. It was great. So here we are. John shows up in Georgia and is finishing up his life's work. He's telling people about this person coming. He knows what's happening, and he's telling them to live a life of repentance, of baptism, and turning your hearts and your minds and your lives into a new thing. Well, as John is baptizing people in the Chattahoochee, who should appear but Jesus? And when Mike did that, he would be pretending to baptize someone, and he said, hello, Jesus. He says, y'all look. That's the one I was telling you about, the Lord's Lamb, the world's sin bearer. I told you there was a man coming from behind me who had gotten ahead of me because he was here before I was. And that's a pretty good trick. Because he knew that Jesus was there to fulfill his life's work. So he baptizes Jesus. And God then tells the world that he is pleased with his beloved son. Now, something that has somewhat been on my mind while I prepared for this is the fact that Jesus didn't need to be baptized the way John was baptizing people. Because he was having them repent and ask forgiveness of the way they'd been living. Jesus hadn't lived that life. So why does he do it? Why does he do it? But then we realize that John and Jesus both knew that the ancient scriptures must be fulfilled. Frankly, it would have been a lot more easy to understand and it would have made more sense if in the midst of all of this, Jesus would have turned the tables and baptized John. Wouldn't that make more sense? I would have asked him to baptize me. Now, I'm not going to ask for a response for this question. If you happen to be old enough to have remembered Jesus of Nazareth when it came out in the late 70s, this scene is very profound. Here is John baptizing all of these people in the river And as he looks, Jesus approaches. And he says, it is I that should receive baptism from you. And Jesus says, no, the scriptures must be fulfilled. 
and he is baptized. So Jesus' baptism was somewhat of a symbolic gesture showing that he was going to go through this for us and the symbolism of us going through our baptism with him. But it was so much more than that. In his baptism, we see old versus new, a beginning and an end. We see life and we see death. Because while Jesus was beginning his ministry, John's life fulfillment was upon him and his was ending. He even told his followers, it's, it's time to follow him now. My work is done. Right? However, something new was emerging, but we also know that for something new to emerge and come to life, something must also die in order for new growth to come. Something has to die. Now, in just a few moments, we're going to renew our baptismal covenant because today is the major feast of the baptism of Jesus I want you to think about this for a minute because our baptism is not a symbolic one. It is our chance to share with Jesus in his baptism. In it, our old self, our old way of living is erased and left behind. We are literally buried with Christ in his death and raised. We are resurrected to a new life. What are you holding on to this morning? What do you need to let go of? Who do you need to forgive? Do you need to forgive yourself? These promises that we are about to renew in our baptismal covenant are promises that either we made or others made on our behalf at our baptism. We are making a covenant with God. And this covenant is a heavy one. It is significant. It isn't something we can do halfway. We're asked to live into Christ in a new way with a renewed vigor for our Christian faith. You're going to be asked a question about, will you follow, read the scriptures and follow them? Will you pray? Will you break bread? Will you respect the dignity of every human being? I personally think we should wear a t-shirt every day that says, I try to respect the dignity of every human being. Because it is the most profound question I believe that we can be asked. Will you do this? And the response is, I will, with God's help. Because I can't do it alone. So my challenge for you today is this. As we read the baptismal covenant, as we do that in a moment, read the words carefully. Allow them to touch and stir the deepest part of your soul. Take everything that you're holding onto and allow it to be washed away in the water of your baptism. Arise from the death of the water to a new life in Jesus Christ. Amen.